Chapter Forty One of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchet Carey. Chapter Forty One. You can be Diana's friend. Sometimes I said. This thing shall be no more. My expectation wearies and shall cease. I will resign it now and be at peace, yet never gave it all. Christina Rossetti Various complications prevented the Templeton-Strickland picnic, as Cedric termed it, from being speedily carried out, and it was not until the middle of May that a day was definitely fixed and Cedric brought his sisters up to Waterloo, where Malcolm and Mr. Strickland met them. The whole party were to be housed at the Priory, where they were to sleep two nights. There were plenty of good bedrooms, Harry Strickland told them, and in a rough, homely fashion he could undertake that they should be comfortable. He had already been down to the Priory to look after things, and to tell Mrs. Renshaw that she must find some temporary help. He would have brought down a hamper of delicacies from Fortnum and Mason, but Cedric remonstrated with him, and said his sisters would much prefer simple country fare. And then Harry gave orders to his bailiff that the plumpest chickens and the fattest ducks were to be sacrificed, and new-laid eggs and cream served ad libitum. Malcolm always looked back on those two days as the saddest and yet the most beautiful he had ever known. For what sadness can be equal to that of being with the person one loves best in the world, and yet being conscious of a great dividing gulf that never narrows? And yet in spite of this, what happiness to know that one roof would cover them for two days! Malcolm was in that condition when he was thankful for even fragments and crumbs. A kind smile and approving word from Elizabeth made his heart beat more quickly. As for Dinah, she was in seventh heaven. The country was lovely, the priory a beautiful, picturesque old place, with leaded casements and a deep porch, and a wonderful neglected garden a veritable wilderness of sweets. She liked everything, admired everything. She thought Harry Strickland a thoroughly nice fellow, and she and Elizabeth wandered all over the house, suggesting improvements in their practicable, sensible way, and full of admiration for the fine oak staircase and some really beautiful cabinets and benches on the landing-place and in the best parlours. Roger Strickland had always called them parlours, the oak parlour and the cedar parlour. The latter, a charming room with a fine ceiling, cedar-lined panels and a cosy nook by the fireplace covered with quaint tapestry. Elizabeth fell in love with this room directly. She insisted that a certain cabinet she had seen upstairs should be brought down to the cedar parlour and that an empty recess should be fitted up for books. 
and the young men listened to her quite meekly. Her reforms and alterations became so sweeping and extensive at last that Malcolm, who at first had been only amused, grew seriously alarmed. "'We must see what Mr. Atkins thinks,' he kept observing. "'We must decide on nothing without him.' Mr. Atkins was the lawyer who had managed all the Strickland business, and they were to drive into Donerton that very afternoon to consult him. Nevertheless, when Malcolm made his little protest, Elizabeth only shrugged her shoulders and muttered something about cautious legal minds under her breath. "'Good for you, Betty, that we have a lawyer handy,' observed Cedric in high good humour, "'or you'd be ruining yourself and Dinah too. No, no, Herrick is right.' We will mend the holes and lay down fresh flooring where it is absolutely necessary, and do any cleaning and painting that are required, but the rest can keep for a while. The parlours and two decent bedrooms are all we shall require. And then they went off to see the dairy. They drove into Donerton after an early dinner, but on arriving at the lawyer's, Elizabeth suddenly remarked, that they were far too large a party, and that she meant to do a little sightseeing on her own account. So as they knew of old that it was useless to argue with her, they went inside, and from over the wire-blind in the dingy front room, Malcolm watched her crossing the butter-market in the direction of the ancient churchyard that skirted one side of it. It troubled him to hear a bell toll as she passed through the little gate and a moment later a funeral procession, following a small coffin, evidently of a child, climbed slowly up the steps. After that he resigned himself to a long, tedious hour. The room was hot and airless, the lawyer very prosy and unnecessarily fluent, but he seemed a straightforward, honest man, and gave them good counsel. Malcolm was soon put into possession of all the Strickland bequest, and after this it was all plain sailing. The land was good, and though the farm had deteriorated a little, judicious management and a moderate outlay would soon put things on a different footing. This was Mr. Atkins's opinion. He had himself suggested that a partner with some capital should be found. Some final arrangements were made after this. Then Cedric suggested that they should have tea at the inn, and Malcolm volunteered to go in search of Elizabeth. He felt sure that he should find her still in the churchyard, and he was right. She was standing near one of those dreary monuments which affectionate relatives loved to raise to their departed friends in the early Victorian era. There was old Time, with his beard and scythe, a broken column, veiled mourners, and a dejected-looking cherub, and the stiff funereal urn. But Elizabeth was looking at a cluster of grassy mounds under a yew-tree, with simple headstones and here and there a cross. She looked up at Malcolm with a quiet smile. "'Have they sent you to find me?' she asked. 
it is so nice and peaceful here. I like to think of all those tired workers resting after their labours, their work done. I think you make a mistake there, returned Malcolm, falling at once into her vein of thought. Resting, true, but their work is certainly not finished. It is only broken off, because probably they have reached a part that can only be carried on under certain conditions. Elizabeth turned round in her quick way. "'Say that again?' she exclaimed eagerly, and Malcolm repeated his speech. "'I like that,' she murmured. "'If one could only grasp that thought!' "'There is no difficulty, surely,' he replied. "'People often talk of continuity of life and continuity of love. "'And why not continuity of work? "'Think of all the thousands of workers who have gone hence, "'many of them in the prime of their youth or manhood, "'votaries of science, of art, "'pioneers, missionaries, soldiers of the cross,' and soldiers of the Queen, a vast army that no man can number. Here Malcolm paused. Yes, yes, oh, please go on. Elizabeth was drinking in his words as though they were new wine. You know what the wisdom of Solomon says. In the sight of the unwise they seem to die and their departure is taken for misery. But, looking at her with a smile, you and I know better than that. And you think, as Mr. Carlyon does, that there will be active life and work there? And Elizabeth's large sad eyes were full of yearning as she asked the question, How could I face the future if I did not believe it? returned Malcolm earnestly. Why are these talents, these gifts of genius, this thirst for knowledge given to us, if they are not to be developed and turned to account hereafter? Think of the conditions under which such work will be done. And here Malcolm's voice was full of enthusiasm. The wisdom of the ages around us, the great ones of the earth, in whose footprints we have striven to walk, beside us, in the fullness of their majesty. No hindrances, no physical weakness, no painful conflict between the human will and the clouded intellect. The heir of all the ages will have entered his goodly heritage. Oh, forgive me! Checking himself abruptly, for the tears were streaming down Elizabeth's cheeks. No, no, it has been such a comfort. I shall not forget. You have done me so much good. And then she wiped away her tears and tried to smile, and by the time they reached the inn she had regained her composure. During their drive home, Malcolm occupied the seat next to her in the wagonette, and Dinah, who was opposite to them, noticed that Elizabeth talked more to him than she had done since that unlucky afternoon at the pool, and that Malcolm looked unusually happy.
but his content was of short duration. The next morning, as they were waiting for the wagonette to take them to the station, Elizabeth wandered into the deserted garden, and Malcolm, who followed her, found her standing under a gelder rose-tree, picking some of the snowy blossoms. She greeted him with a smile. "'This reminds me of Cedric's nursery days,' she observed. "'He used to love to pelt me with these soft white balls when he was a mite of a thing in a white frock and blue ribbons. Powder-puffins, he used to call them. What a pretty little fellow he was, to be sure. Well, Mr. Herrick, as Malcolm made no reply, so our little jaunt is at an end. It has really been very pleasant, don't you think so? I have enjoyed it, returned Malcolm. He spoke with marked emphasis. Oh, so have we all, she replied lightly. It is so delightful to see those two boys so ridiculously happy. For both Cedric and Harry Strickland had behaved during breakfast time like a couple of crazy schoolboys. You have helped to make them so, observed Malcolm meaningly. Oh, no, in a careless tone. Dinah is taking the lion's share. If I had had my way, I should have restored this beautiful old place. But two lawyers are enough to crush any woman. I am only thankful that we were able to check such sinful extravagance, he returned calmly. I believe generosity can degenerate into positive vice. But Elizabeth refused to listen to this. "'If it had been Cedric's house, I would have done it up from garret to basement,' she said wilfully. "'Anyhow, I mean to take the garden in hand. When you come down to the woodhouse next, you shall hear all my plans, and, of course, we shall have one of our old fights over them.' Now what was there in this speech? to cause such a curious revulsion in Malcolm's mind. Elizabeth was speaking with the utmost good humour, and at any other moment he would have thought her imperiousness charming. So what possessed him to draw himself up and say rather stiffly that he feared that it would be some time before they saw him at Staple Grove? "'You know I'm going abroad this summer with my mother and Anna Sheldon,' he continued gravely. "'We are going to the Engadine and the Italian lakes.' "'But that is not until August,' returned Elizabeth, rather taken aback by Malcolm's sudden gravity. She had been so pleased with him the previous afternoon. Her liking for him had deepened, and she felt a genuine desire for his friendship. In her secret heart she knew how well he had behaved, and was grateful to him for his delicacy and tact. But at this moment she felt as though she had received a douche of cold water. "'That is not until August. It is only May now,' she repeated rather seriously. "'Yes, I know.' But here Malcolm lost his self-command. Perhaps the May sunshine dazzled him, 
or the soft friendliness of Elizabeth's eyes and that unvarying kindliness, tried his endurance. But for once the underlying bitterness found vent. "'I cannot come before I go abroad. You of all people ought not to expect it. You must know how I feel, that it is not good for me. When I'm with you, I can scarcely endure my pain.' He spoke harshly, almost flinging the words at her, but she answered him quite humbly. "'Forgive me. I did not want to hurt you.' In a trembling voice, "'I did not understand.' "'No, you have never understood.' But there was no conciliation in his tone. "'You make things harder for me. "'Elizabeth, I ought not to have said this.' "'but the happiness of these two days has been too much for me. "'I will keep away until I have regained mastery over myself, "'and then I will come. "'If you want me, if there be anything that I can do for you or your sister, "'you must send for me.' "'I could not do that,' she returned, averting her face, "'and showers of white petals powdered the ground at her feet, "'as her nervous fingers unconsciously stripped the stalks. You have made that impossible. And then she continued impulsively, Mr. Herrick, you must believe how sorry I am. You have been such a friend, such a true, kind friend, and I have been so grateful to you. I can never be your friend, Elizabeth. There was a sad finality about Malcolm's tone that made Elizabeth shrink from him almost timidly. "'Can you not?' she returned, with a little sob. "'But you can be Diana's friend. Do not let her suffer because of this. If we are both unhappy, there is no need that she should be. And you are one of her greatest comforts.' "'You are right.' "'replied Malcolm more gently, "'and I shall always be at Miss Templeton's service. "'I know you tell her everything. "'Will you let her know this? "'When she wants me, when either of you want me, "'I will come, if needs be, from the ends of the earth. "'You will believe this.' "'I always believe Diana's friend,' she returned, in a voice he hardly recognised it was so soft and full of feeling. But how I shall miss mine! And here Elizabeth's eyes were very sad. She looked at the bare flower-stalks in her hands rather remorsefully, before she threw them away and returned to the house. On their way to the station, Malcolm occupied a seat next to the driver. Now and then Elizabeth glanced up at the broad shoulders a little wistfully. How silent he was! She did not once hear his voice. While they waited for the train, he and Harry Strickland paced up and down the platform. The train was rather full. One or two strangers were in their compartment and whether accidentally or by purpose, Malcolm was shut off from the rest of his party. At Waterloo, 
a silent handshake was all that passed between him and Elizabeth, and even to Dinah he said little. But as he drove off in the hansom, he told himself that he had done right, and that he did not regret a single word he had spoken. It was far better for her to know the truth. He understood her so well. She was not dense, but she was willfully blinding her eyes. Very likely she was misled by his calm, matter-of-fact manner. She thinks I have got over it, that I have come to my senses and accepted the inevitable, that we can be friends in the comfortable, approved fashion. Here Malcolm's eyes flashed with sudden fire. But she has found out her mistake. No, there shall be no more deception. When I see her again I shall wear my true colours, though heaven forbid that I should persecute her with attentions that only embarrass and distress her. No, you are safe with me, dear, he murmured inwardly. But even for your sweet sake I will not act a lie. I am Dinah's friend, but your lover, Elizabeth, and must be as long as I have life and breath. And somehow this solemn avowal of his heart's secret did Malcolm good. But Dinah noticed that Elizabeth was more than unusually depressed for some time after their return to the woodhouse. End of chapter 41